0: Welcome
1: to the southern ohio senate podcast i am gary Pacuch and i serve as the senate youth ministry church coach and community sandbox manager for the southern ohio senate which means i help churches take the next step in children's youth and or family ministry whatever that means to them i also manage the senate's resource website called the sandbox where we gather together resources that have been created by members within our senate and put them in one central location so folks can have access to it i am so
2: We are taught about
1: truth and consequences from an early age. A toddler throws food during a Happy Meal, and the parents say, We don't throw food in this family. You threw food, which is wrong. Now we are taking your plate from you. An elementary-age child won't go to bed on time. A parent says, It is important to get a good night's sleep. You didn't go to bed on time. Now you will not be able to play video games after dinner for the rest of the week. An adolescent doesn't complete his homework. The parents say it is good to do your homework. You didn't do your homework. Now you won't be able to go to your friend's sleepover on Friday night. A teenager gets a speeding ticket. The parent says, It is good to obey the speed limit and keep others safe. You broke the speed limit. Now you won't be able to drive the family car for a week. Notice the pattern in each of these examples. First, what is good is stated. Second, A statement is made that the good has not been accomplished. Third, and one hears the consequences of the failure. When we learn about truth, we are talking about that pattern of stating what is good, stating how the good failed to be done, and naming the consequences of the failure. When we talk about truth in connection with the Word of God, we are told of the relationship that God wants to have with us and the goodness of that relationship with God. We are told of our failure to live into that relationship. And we are told of the consequences of living with a broken relationship with God. Discipleship can be seen as the solution or the quick fix to what is broken. What we want to do in this podcast is consider a new way of looking at discipleship that sees it not as a quick fix to what is broken, but as a response to God's story of new life. You see, discipleship is a new way of living.
2: The truth
1: reveals two things to us as Christians. First, that the church is broken. Second, that the
2: country is broken. In scripture, we read about
1: guilt and we read about shame. Guilt is the condition in which we find ourselves after we have done something wrong or failed to do what is right. Justice is applied to guilt and there are consequences for the wrong actions. Shame is the condition in which we find ourselves when we have trusted in someone or something only to have that person or practice fail to deliver for us. As we consider that the church is broken and that the country is broken, we find ourselves both guilty and ashamed. Guilty in that we have failed in some way to do the right thing to make the country and the church work. Shame in that we have trusted in people or ways of doing things that have not been able to set things right. When we as humans find something broken, we feel anxiety. Feeling anxious, we want to fix it. We not only want to fix it, but we want a quick fix. Professor Mark Mattis, in his article on discipleship from a Lutheran perspective, points out that in the Lutheran Christian tradition, discipleship is seen as the quick fix. Christians will hope that discipleship will fix the church and that discipleship will fix the country. Let's take a look at how we can fall into the trap of seeing discipleship as the fix to the church. Then we will look at how we can fall into the trap of thinking discipleship will fix the country.
2: First, we look at how we
1: fall into the trap of thinking that discipleship fixes the church. We have in our minds and memories what the church should look like, feel like, and what the church should do. There are expectations such as how full the sanctuary should be, how generous the members should be, how many hours the pastor should work, and how large the facility should be. The current condition of the mainline church does not reflect those expectations we draw the conclusion that the church is broken. To that brokenness, we apply our humanity in searching for what might fix the church. We articulate our solutions in if-then statements. For example, some will say, If only the pastor would make more visits, there would be more people in the pews on Sunday. Prior to coming onto the bishop's staff of the Southern Ohio Synod, I served as the lead pastor of a congregation founded in 1730. We had the journals of Pastor Muhlenberg, who served the congregation in the late 1700s, and we had those journals translated. In his handwritten journals, I found this note. All the people of this church do is complain. Their chief complaint is that the pastor doesn't visit the people enough. This if-then notion of pastoral visitation as the quick fix for church growth, it's been around for centuries. When we perceive the church as broken, we develop go-to solutions. One of the go-to solutions for fixing the church is discipleship. Professor Mattis thinks that people appeal to discipleship as the cure they believe will revitalize their congregations. The if-only solution of discipleship goes like this. If only the people of the church would be more faithful in worship, study the Bible, serve those in need, give faithfully, and invite others to worship, the church would be fixed. The renewal of the church becomes dependent upon people more perfectly fulfilling their spiritual faith requirements. This also allows for a scapegoat. If the church isn't being fixed, we can blame those who are not doing discipleship Perfect enough. Professor Mattis also reflects upon the distinction made between the membership church and the discipleship church. For him, those who are discipleship oriented see the church at odds with the secular world. Unfortunately, in seeing the church in such a way, we see the church as nothing more than one more community organization vying for the attention, resources, and presence of his adherents. Mattis makes a distinction between the church and other community organizations. The church is called to be concerned about that which is ultimate. That is that which can overcome death. Community organizations are concerned with that which is penultimate, that which can guide us through our earthly lives and to help us live those lives in a relatively happy and moral way. That which is ultimate for Mattis is God's wonder and mystery. The penultimate concerns of community organizations are good ethics, fellowship, and an esprit de corps that comes from being a member. When the ultimate concern of the church is salvation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have a cross-oriented Christianity. When the concern of the church is merely the penultimate concerns of community organizations such as ethics, fellowship, and an esprit de corps, In essence, we are seeing a cross-less Christianity. The cross-oriented Christianity and the cross-less Christianity live in tension with each other. For cross-oriented Christianity and cross-less Christianity, the source of truth is found in different places. For cross-oriented Christianity, the Church is concerned about that which is ultimate, the truth found in the Word of God. For cross-less Christianity, the Church grounds its truth in human experience, where one person's experience is to be what defines all other experiences for all other people. It makes a universal claim, applying its to all people. And that's a claim that can never be substantiated. Only the word of God can renew the church. The good actions of well-intended church members will only create an anxiety for perfection and a judgment of those who are not perfect. The law of judgment is not Jesus' last word to us, Professor Mattis writes. For as Jesus was risen from death to life, God brings life to those who hear it and gives faith so that they may
2: trust it. Discipleship can be seen as that
1: which will fix the church. That's a trap. We also fall into the trap of thinking that discipleship and fix the country. I run the risk of being called a a Captain Obvious if I state that the country is broken. Any of us could quickly generate a list of what is wrong with families, communities, schools, government, political parties, morals, and businesses. As with seeking ways to fix the church, we attempt to use this if-then approach in naming what we think will fix the country. And also, there appears to be a conservative if-then approach and a progressive if-then approach. The conservative if-then approach is something like, if there is left government, we trust the free market system, and choose leaders with those values, the country will be better. The progressive if-then approach is something like, if the government does a better job at regulating business and putting laws in place to protect those who are oppressed, and we choose leaders with those values, the country will be better. Both if-then approaches attempt to solve societal problems. For both approaches, Professor Mattis states, human autonomy, Hierarchy and capitalism are the center of the solution. Mattis goes on to make the observation that the political right and the political left are not necessarily alternatives to each other, but extreme expressions of the same thing, where autonomy, the way we handle hierarchy and capitalism, are non-negotiable for either party. Neither if-then approach either conservative or progressive, usher in the kingdom of God. In fact, the word of God takes the ultimate power from both parties. It reverses the flow of faith and politics. Instead of one's faith being determined by one's politics, one's politics are challenged, negated, and shaped by one's faith. In doing so, we no longer use God as the ultimate justification for our own rigid and self-serving political ideologies. To fix the country, the church can be seen as the antidote or the ideal for which the country should strive. In this case, discipleship is seen as the advocacy and actions the church takes in order to fix the country. Mattis writes that when discipleship is seen as fixing the world, the work of the church is seen as telling politicians, community groups, and government structures what they ought to do instead of the witness of the church stating what the church alone can do. And what is it that the church alone can do? The answer to that question is rooted in the message of the church. The message of the church is a message that challenges any other ideology or system or person who asserts ultimate authority. We believe God is the ultimate authority over all things. We make this claim that God is ultimate because we believe that God is the only one who has the power to overcome death. My brother lost his wife to COVID in November of 2020. In his book reflecting on those grief-filled days, he writes how he was speaking to his wife on the phone as she was in the intensive care unit of the hospital. At one point, his wife told him she was having trouble breathing and needed to hang up. My brother, in worry and fear, yelled at her, saying, You better not hang up on me. And those were his last words to her, as she was placed on a ventilator and later died from COVID. My brother talks about the guilt and the shame he felt for his last words of anger and frustration to his wife. He then writes that after months of family and friends, surrounding him and witnessing their faith to him, he found a peace in his soul. He said the peace came from knowing that his last angry words to his wife in this life were not the last words he will ever speak to her. He will be reunited with her on the other side of death and the guilt and the shame and the tears will be wiped away. That is only possible because Jesus conquered death by being raised from the dead. And that's what it means to be ultimate, that God has the power over death. And that's what it means to believe that God is ultimate. Mattis goes on to write, If we truly care about the world, we are advised to let the church be the church. Let it do what no agency in this world can do, which is bear witness to God's wonder and mystery, not least of which is the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection. Mattis continues, The church does its calling best, by challenging all powers with the truth that no human power is ultimate and that all human power is dependent on the all-powerful God to whom all humans should be grateful and to whom they should render their worship. The church challenges penultimate power with that which is ultimate. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer states, the church asks the state to be the state, and movements within the state to not pretend to be their own
2: self-serving cult.
1: So discipleship is not a methodology to fix the church. And discipleship is not a methodology to fix the country. What then does discipleship look like? Professor Mattis says this discipleship is first, trusting God's word, second, tending to God's word, third, preaching God's word, and fourth, Letting God's Word have its way with us. Let's look at each
2: one. First, trusting God's Word.
1: Trusting God's Word is to believe that God is ultimate. Pastor Peter's story was a Methodist pastor in apartheid South Africa. He marched with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Pastor Story states that at each moment when protesters came face to face with soldiers and police who were armed with riot gear and machine guns, Archbishop Tutu would look at the soldiers and police and say, Don't you want to come over to the winning side? His invitation is based on the belief that God will have the final word even over a well armed state.
2: And soldiers. Second,
1: tending God's Word. Tending God's Word is to allow people to walk within the thick narratives of Scripture. In walking within the thick narratives of Scripture, Professor Mattis reminds us that we learn to express joy and grief as in the Psalms. We learned to long for Christ's return, as in Revelation. We learned to trust in God's order to the world, as in the creation story. Third, preaching God's word. Preaching God's word names that which is ultimate and challenges that which claims that it is. Preaching God's word speaks forgiveness. We can be seduced by the world's promises, whether therapy, politics, economy, self-help. But what opens us up is the Word of God. Transformed by the Word, we then may be used by God to change the world. Fourth, letting God's Word have its way with us. Letting God's Word have its way with us reminds us that God's Word is both ultimate and universal. We talked about what it means to be ultimate. Let's mention briefly what it means to be universal. The universal Word of God applies to all people in all places, but we believe that God speaks to each one of us in our particular place and to our particular personal identities. We juggle our responsibilities and accountability which we have before God and the world measured in tandem with our abilities, says Professor Mattis. We are called to consider our context, to consider our interests and consider our skills just as each follower of Jesus did in their time and to use their setting and their interests and their skills in a way that is best suited for them. Bearing witness to Jesus in our own way, through our
2: uniqueness as human beings.
1: The Word of God is God at work in the world, creating and recreating, redeeming and sustaining the world. Central to the Word of God is story. First and foremost, it's God's story. Second, God's story includes our story because God draws us into God's narrative. And third, it means taking time to listen to the story of others. Discipleship is marked by being engaged by God's ongoing story. Discipleship is marked by being able to articulate our own story of how Jesus is alive in our lives. Discipleship is marked by being able to see how our stories interact with the stories of others, and the only way we can tell if they interact is by listening to their stories. To grow in this capacity for story, there are several disciplines in which those who are disciples of Jesus engage. These disciplines help us to hear God's story, to tell our own stories, and to listen to the stories of others. These disciplines are worship, learning, serving, giving, witnessing, and fellowship. I want to finish this podcast by taking a brief look at each discipline. Then in subsequent podcasts, we will explore each one. Worship. Worship is revelation. In worship, God is revealed in word and sacrament. As God is revealed, God is present. We encounter the living and life-changing presence of God in worship. While we allow room to encounter God in many and various ways in life, we are assured that in word and sacrament, God will be present. Learning Learning is to be brought back to oneself. Regularly in our lives, we see everything through a prism that serves our own personal needs. We will be convinced of right and wrong based on our own self-justification and our own self-righteousness. It is necessary for us to be fully human and humans God is calling us to be to have those notions challenged and so many times more than we are willing to admit to have those notions corrected. We bring those same notions and prisms to our interpretation of Holy Scripture. The discipline of learning challenges our perceptions of what Scripture is saying with what the truth is from the Word of God. Serving. Serving is a marker of a discipleship of Jesus. As Jesus states to his disciples at the Last Supper, others will recognize them as his disciples if they love one another and serve one another as he had when he washed their feet. Service is marked by humility and assuming a role of low status. It calls for a genuine concern for the well-being of others and for the initiative to make sure that the person's well-being is preserved. Giving. Giving is a marker of a disciple of Jesus. Giving here is specifically concerned with money and wealth. If we were to compare how many times Jesus talks about love, and how many times Jesus talks about money, we will learn that Jesus talks more about money than he does about love. In the epistles, we read that the love of money will be problematic in our lives. Why, you may ask? It's simple. Money is control. Those with money can control where they go, what they buy, what they eat, how they dress, where they live. Money is control. Giving is a spiritual discipline that addresses the need for control. Giving to the faith community as a disciple of Jesus is about sacrificing. It's not only sacrificing one's money, it's also the sacrifice of giving up control. The specific sacrifice of giving up control, it means that we allow the Spirit to guide the church and how money is used, instead of each one of us trying to control the church by directing how our own money is spent. Witnessing. Witnessing is a marker of a disciple of Jesus. Witnessing happens when God's story, our own stories, and listening to the stories of others intersect. Witnessing is sharing God's story telling how Jesus has been at work in our lives, and listening to the stories of Jesus active in the lives of others. In church circles, we commonly use the word evangelism in exchange for witnessing. The work of evangelism is important. It includes making sure the ministry is visible, that hospitality is shown, that we invite others into the faith community, and that we find ways to integrate people into the faith community. So often, though, we don't take the next step, which is to share the story about God, to share the stories of how Jesus is at work in our lives, and engaging and listening to the stories of how Jesus is at work in their lives. And fellowship. Fellowship with other believers is a marker of a disciple of Jesus. In scripture, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and drunkard. This accusation is used because Jesus eats a lot of meals with a lot of people. There's something transformative about having a meal together. I would go as far as saying that sharing in a meal together can be healing. It calls for our best manners. It calls for a common civility. It asks us to engage each other in respectful conversation. I would like to add a specific component of eating together that is important. As did Jesus, we are called to eat meals with people who are radically different from each other. When I share a meal and conversation with others who differ from me, I increase the chance that I may change my mind and I might also change the perceptions I have of those other people. Discipleship is
2: not the quick fix for the church. Discipleship
1: is not the quick fix for the country. Discipleship is trusting God's word, tending to God's word, preaching God's word, and letting God's word have its way with us. The marks of discipleship are being engaged by God's ongoing story, being able to articulate our own story of how Jesus is alive in our lives, and being able to see how our stories interact with the stories of others. To grow in doing so, there are several disciplines in which those who are disciples of Jesus engage These disciplines help us to hear God's story, help us to tell our own stories of Jesus' as activity in our lives, and help us to listen to the story of others. These disciplines are worship, learning, serving, giving, witnessing,
2: and fellowship.
0: This is Pastor Rebecca Great, the Media Ambassador and Storyteller for the Southern Ohio Synod. And I want to thank you again for joining us for this podcast episode. There is a discussion guide available for this podcast that is located on the Synod's website and in the description box for this episode on our YouTube channel. We hope this helps congregations and ministries be able to use this information with your councils and your other ministry leaders to help us all grow in our discipleship. If you have questions about any of the content or want to continue the conversation, uh, you can connect with Pastor Tim Menser by sending him an email. His email address is t.menser at southernohiosynod.org. Until the next time we gather on this podcast, remember that we are stronger and better together, joining Jesus in the restoration of the world.